Hi guys, welcome back to another Footy and Coffee Conversations. Uh, we're switching it up a little bit. We're going down under. Uh, so all three of the guys on the call have played in Australia. So we're going to share stories of Australia, adventures, different funny things. Uh, it's a unique country from everything I've heard about it and players that have been there. So excited to hear your guys' stories. Uh, if you guys want to start just by introducing yourselves and what clubs you played for in Australia. Lenny, you first, bud. Yeah, Lenny, start us off, boss. Um, what's up, guys? Uh, played for Narang, uh SC Soccer Club in Gold Coast, Australia for um, six months, and then the last two months I played for the Gold Coast Knights. So. And your name? My name is Eric <laughs> Leonard, or as all my Butler friends call me, Lenny. <clears throat> that's great uh yeah cause go yeah. take away buddy oh all right all right uh yeah michael kozelik uh when i was in australia played for uh albany creek excelsior up in brisbane for a half season and then transferred down to Bomaris in melbourne for the second half of the season uh nick grunwald i played a season in Hobart, Tasmania with the Hobart Zebras. And then I spent about six or seven weeks in Melbourne with Hume City FC. I was basically there for all the preseason and then ended up coming back right before the season started. Hey, our final, oh, no. our final guest is here. Oh, wow. Uh, if you so just want to introduce yourself and say what club in Australia you played for. Uh, yeah, my name is David Caban. Um, played for a season in Australia for Bomaris, uh, suburb of Melbourne in the south suburbs. I uh, played with Kaz. Very good. I feel like I just want to start laughing, even though you guys haven't said anything funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great right here. It's a good group uh, of laughs. I guess just to start, I just want to hear you guys' like initial reactions when you got to Australia, what you were thinking, what was it like, any funny experiences you had right away? I thought I was going to start, to be honest with it's you. It's all Lenny, all Lenny. I, w I was scared. I was really scared going there. I was just out of college, right? Um, and like I was wondering like how the food and how the culture was going to be different. And the one thing that surprised me most was not the food. It was the animals, and we can touch on that later, but got some crazy stories there. So, hey, I don't know. I wasn't too worried, I guess, about the culture change just because I knew Australia was fairly similar to us, maybe with a little bit more of like a English influence to it. But um, so Hobart, Tasmania, where I first landed to, it's, it's actually like a very beautiful city. It's got um some sweet water and mountains and it's not as like big city-esque it's more countryside um smaller population so it was kind of cool to get it out of chicago and michigan where i'd been all my life and kind of move to a different place and experience different scenery and landscape Dope. uh yeah my first uh well i was in sweden for that preseason my first my, my year in australia so i did a whole preseason and Sweden essentially and thought I'd be signing there and then came into work visa issues and thankfully had a buddy that was playing in Brisbane and he knew my situation gave his coach a shout sent him my video and then it was like a two-day turnaround so it was just kind of a random I left Stockholm like two days after talking to him and then 
I wasn't really worried. I was just more excited to play at that point because I was like, if I go another season with work visa issues, I will cry. So I was cool with it. And then it ended up being super sick. I loved Oz. So. Yeah, I kind of went in with an open mind. Like, obviously, I'd spent a couple seasons in Sweden prior, so it would be nice to be in a place where I didn't have to worry about any language barrier or anything. And everyone was pretty welcoming when I first came in. Um, my first couple weeks was, like, pretty dry, to be honest. I didn't really... <laughs> As me, as you'll hear later on you know, with Kaz, uh, the good stuff didn't come till a couple months in. <laughs> All right, it's gonna be a struggle, guys. I'm just gonna tell you, it's gonna be a struggle <laughs> at some points. Um, so to start, uh, I guess just we'll we'll touch on on the animal aspect of Australia. So. If you have what animals, funny stories, anything you experienced down there, because obviously they have a lot of different creatures than what America has. Right, right. So just uh, like a forewarning, I hate bugs and I hate like insects and stuff like for real, like not, no joke. I really hate that stuff. <clears throat> and right before my sister gave me like the most, the top 10 most dangerous animals in the world book. And it was like all in Australia. Right. Um, so we got there. And I was kind of paranoid at first, uh, just about like little stuff, but spiders, especially and stuff. But anyways, the, the animal that surprised me the most was the kangaroo. Like obviously like about Australia, you know, the kangaroos, you've heard of the kangaroos and obviously you want, you can go to the petting zoos and you can pet them, you can feed them, you can do all the above. But um, for me, my first week in Australia was a Friday. I went um, on a jog down a path um, right in the Gold Coast area. So kind of, um, not off off the beach about a mile away and there's a there's a forest preserve that you can kind of go through and what I didn't know was that kangaroos are in the wild right it's, it's just like seeing like um, buffalo cows in the wild but I didn't know that so I'm running through running on the path and like about 150 feet down the path on the left just like this little thing laying there and I was like what the heck is that so I got closer I'm running closer it's a little baby kangaroo I'm like that's pretty cool whatever all of a sudden the mother comes jumping out towards you know the side of the path and that's when um, I got a little nervous so I, I kind of kept jogging and they were just kind of sitting there and sitting there and what you guys don't know is that when a mother is with its baby came the joy is when it gets very protective and as soon as I became lateral with the two of them it got onto its hind legs kind of gave this little like like he was, he was about to kill me kind of look <laughs> and started chasing after me for about 50 feet so I turned and ran right back down the path and it chased me for about 50 feet, just, just until I was far enough away. That was by far one of the most scariest moments of my entire life. So yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of those videos of people like punching the kangaroos and stuff. It's wild. It, it is crazy. I kept a blog over when I was in Australia, which was kind of cool. And I, and I wrote down most of those stories, but that one tops the, uh, the animal stories for sure. <laughs> different breed down there dude i don't know if i had any like crazy animal encounters i mean i saw like a few kangaroos and stuff which was cool um the spiders were nasty though mm -hmm. i know that in brisbane like melbourne wasn't that bad with really any of that i got to see like wild penguins in melbourne that's weird yeah, that but i guess cool. like wild penguins are down there and then spiders were nasty i saw one uh like decent size uh, what are they the uh, huntsman ones down there yeah we didn't see like a full full size one, but we saw like a pretty like half size one, and it was on our wall one morning when I woke up. And Lucho was who I lived with at the time, and I remember I heard the door just slam, and he was like, 
nah, dude, we're not going out that door today. And, like, he opened the screen door, and it's just this fat spider. I was like, oh. It was, like, half the size of a dinner plate. Yeah, can't those be, like, as big as dinner plates? Mm. Oh, yeah, they're huge. Yeah, they're, like, large, and they're super hairy, and they just look disgusting. They're not harmless. They're they're harmless. They're not harmful. That's what they tell you. That's what they tell you. (laughs) They can't actually bite you. But, like, you look at a spider the size of, like, two fists put together, and, I mean, yeah, only instinct is get out of there. You're not going to be chill with that. No. <laughs> no chance. I had one while I was driving. Uh, I think I was driving back from training one of, one of the evenings, and a huntsman, like, crawled across my windshield. On the outside, <laughs> luckily. Like, Mm-mm. it was huge. So I pulled oh, yeah. into like a little little park that was on the side, and I just started beating it with my sandal. <laughs> like, Nick created a forty-two car pileup. He turned. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I looked behind me, and a bunch of cars crashed. It was wild. <laughs> there's a there's a tiny spider called a brown recluse that got into someone's car. So someone in Melbourne went to the countryside. And brown recluse is like really tiny, like the size of a quarter. But if it bites you, it'll you'll die in like a minute. And some they found like oh. someone saw it in the business district of Melbourne, and they shut down like a five block radius just for a tiny spider. They had to have like animal control come and get it. Like so that's like how it. deadly it is. <clears throat> so we need God, to do here, like shut down the five block radius. <laughs> They t- they told you they'd double your monthly salary if you went out and looked for it. <laughs> I'd take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd take it because I was going to the casino at that point anyways four days a week. <laughs> minimum. So Oh the crown. So if we're just gonna if I'm gonna speak from my heart of hearts, yes, I would have taken that job. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys all go and like go to the petting zoo to pet the kangaroos and all? Yeah, I didn't. So they, the places that I, in Tasmania, they call them wildlife sanctuaries. Yeah. It's basically the equivalent to the American zoo. Um, So like I fed a lion with meat through the fence, which is pretty cool. And then they just. I did not do that. It was was pretty, it was pretty sweet. Like with a stick or your hand? No, No, with his hand. With like metal tongs. But you could put it up at a certain height and it would basically stand up on its hind legs and, and snatch it, which was pretty cool because you see how huge they are. He fed it with his he fed it with his <laughs> with his hand. <laughs> I mean granted you can do that in the States, so it's not that cool, but like it was just cool because as Lenny said, like there's these little joeys that are just kind of hopping around. And you get to feed them, you get to pet them, like they're super chill, kind animals when they're not in the wild. <laughs> when they are in the wild, you don't you don't try and pet them, that's for sure. I think that was one of the coolest things about Australia, just everything outside, right? Not even just the animals, but like the beaches, um, everything's beautiful. And that's something that obviously like we've lived in Chicago. So you see um, the city line and you can go to the beach, but it's just a different factor when you're in Australia, right? The beach is almost half a mile long. Um, It's the water and stuff. It's just beautiful. Anybody go scuba diving or just snorkeling or what? Surfing. Surfing? Skydiving. I went skydiving. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, huh. Is that, that for your fun. dad's birthday? 
No, my dad just came to visit me for about a week and a half in August, and we yeah we went skydiving Casual. over like the Melbourne like beachside. It was really cool. That's sweet. Was that scary? Yeah, going up was the scariest part because the, there's like nothing in the plane besides people. Like there's like it doesn't feel like a hefty plane, so you're shaking all around. But once you get to the top. Like the guy on your back is usually like is pretty calm because they've done it hundreds, if not thousands, of times. And it's at that point, just like, all right, fuck it. Like, you just you just fall, and it's it's pretty fun. I yeah, I was watching this prank video, and this guy <laughs> uh got the the guy behind him, like the instructor or whatever. And he uh as he's trying to pull the chute, he's like he has a fake one, so he pulls it and he shows the guy in front. He goes, <laughs> the chute didn't open. The chute didn't open. And the guy's like freaking out and he's like, kick your leg, kick your legs. So the guy's up there like kicking his legs, thinking that's gonna help <laughs> slow him down. Yeah, oh, luckily God. my guy wasn't like that. <laughs> 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 were you guys were you guys scared at all swimming uh with all the sharks down there? First time I went swimming, I definitely was like a little on edge. Cause I didn't, so I didn't get a book like Lenny. I wasn't blessed to be gifted a book, but I mean, I feel like the first thing you do, right. When you know you're moving to Australia is you Google the dangerous animals. Most dangerous mm -hmm. or people are sending it to you and they've got like freshwater crocodiles and they've got saltwater crocodiles and they've got sharks. So the first time I went in, in the water at the beach, I was definitely like on edge looking around. And I was with a couple of mates and they were just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're going to be fine. And then they just started making fun of me. And then after that, you kind of just have to be like, all right, whatever. It's no different than swimming in the ocean in Florida. Like Nick was checking his shoulder more than in a game. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just live I by the swim. rule. I just live by the rule in the ocean. Never be the farthest one out. That's True that. Yeah. True that. Yeah. <laughs> By a true Florida man. True Florida man. Switching, switching the, the gears a little bit. Talking about your experience with your teammates in Oz. Um, obviously a different accent, but they have different phrases, different terminology. Uh, what were some funny ones that you learned that we don't use in the U.S.? <laughs> I'm going to mute cause for this one. I was going to say, <laughs> Hold on, boys. I'll unmute myself in a few. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was. I don't know if it's an Australian thing or maybe it was just our team. But when they talk about going out and partying, they say, "Let's go like shant, like shant on." Shant. Like I don't know if that it's was an Australian or if it was just because we had a few British guys on our team as well. So, but that was like a very common thing every weekend. Shant was a big one. Yeah. Shant was a big one. Man, I'm Dude, I honestly, I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to think of some fairly appropriate. Ones. Are we talking like, yeah, or just like general life? Just general, because yeah, they go like, all. they go like, how you going, right? Instead of like, how you they doing? They how you going? Everything. They just they shorten every word. Brecky. Cool. Yeah. So brecky is definitely a huge one. Like, they use keen a lot. So like, yeah, keen. Super right. keen night. Be like, hey, you keen to do this? Um, I'm so keen. Arvo was Arvo. shortened for yeah. afternoon, so they'd be like, "Oh, you want to chill this Arvo?" And then yeah. you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm down," or "I'm not," or you'd be like, "I'm keen." Oh, thongs are flip flops. True. That that took me the long.
longest time to figure out. And capsicums are peppers, dude. Yep. Learn that at some don't way. get don't don't get tricked at the grocery store self checkout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. I, I used to have so many, but it's just I feel like it's been so long now that I been away. When I came back, when I came back to the states, I would said car park for like the first few weeks yep. until I like reverted back <laughs> to the parking lot. Yeah, in a car, they also say the boot is the trunk. So oh, yeah. yeah. Trunk, I got ripped to shreds by my teammates. So, <laughs> I just chuck my stuff in the trunk, and they're like, what? And they're like, the boot. And I was like, no, I wear those. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> then they got, like, jumpers and trackies and jumpers. Yeah. 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 That, they yeah there's a lot of that. Now, did you that. guys did you guys catch yourselves starting to, like, say things with, like, a little bit of an Australian accent? Not so much the accent. I use their terms the phrases, all the yeah. time because they were hilarious. For sure. Yeah, mockingly and seriously. Like, there's just times for both. Right. But, yeah, I loved it. But, no, I didn't, I didn't go full-blown with the accent. Unless I was, like, in the living room with Caban making fun of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> then, I'd, then I'd give it my all. <laughs> can, we, can we hear that best Aussie accent? What, do you want to hear, like, our old coach at Bowie? <laughs> You want to hear old Sturgy boy? He's the oh, man. <laughs> Davo! Davo, you can't fucking put the ball there, mate. Cozzy, Cozzy, you're not getting fucking back, mate. <laughs> Pretty much that. A lot of that. Just that. A lot of that. It was, like, really high-pitched. Like, he had a very high-pitched voice. And it, it, was, it stung you across the field. Dark. It's interesting you pick two negative things to describe his accent. <laughs> he wasn't a big complimenter. I'm going to put it that yeah. way. I didn't receive a, a load of compliments that season. Um, but it was he was good. the one, that, you know, he was the the one that wore the laptop out on the field. Yes, yeah, so he yeah. also he wore a laptop out. over his shoulder. Oh, never used on it once. Field. In, Wait, in, in eight months. months. Like you walked out with like a satchel or what? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like those crossbody oh, yeah. bags with the laptop. <laughs> and That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. That's a power move. That's a fashion statement right there. <laughs> Bro, oh, Al- I, never met, I never met a man who loved fitness more in his life. I mean, you think Snapey likes fitness, Lenny? It's This guy was just a different breed. It was just like, it was that on steroids to like a destructive point, like where we had just multiple people hurting themselves running. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, we're, like, we're like 70% of the way through the season. He's like, make sure you screenshot your 4k run <laughs> like like we're just like uh, three, there's like five games left in the season he's still like having us do fitness <laughs> can't stop what uh what was it like going out in oz is it different going out with the, the team there than your american teammates a lot more techno or edm like music was all edm based everything a lot of women like music women <laughs> daddy was in a relationship though daddy blew it daddy was just looking from afar i was just staring from across balls live vicariously through me i lived through caban that's why it was that's why i lived out in the living room just got the chill that's what we did that's what we did we crushed it i don't know the nights out though i feel like they had the coolest Maybe it was just where we were, where we ended up going. They had the, like, dopest patio bars, though, and, like, that kind of yes. mix of, like, outdoor bar, like, going out nightlife. Like, that was the coolest part to me. Everything felt kind of, like, bungalow style. It was, like, I could get behind it. 
Melbourne was huge for like rooftops. And yeah, yeah. To like all these sweet places that have like they're like turfed rooftops. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go and get a CC, and you're good to go. <laughs> One thing that was annoying though about the nightlife is like, especially like I know in Chicago, but like Wisconsin as well. Like when they pour drinks, like they'll pour the Coke and the like alcohol at the same time. And like what you get is what you get. But in Australia, legally, like they can't, like if you ask for like, like a whiskey Coke, they do one tiny shot of whiskey. Yeah. And then the rest is all Coke. Like it, so that, that was it's like $40 for a whiskey Coke. Nights out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prices are crazy there, right? Man, yeah. yeah. But also every yeah. Like minimum wage, there's like $22 an hour. Yeah, so like. The, the standard of living was a lot. Yeah. A lot higher. Absolutely. Yeah. But, and then I don't know, the biggest thing I saw, at least in Melbourne going out was like, you wouldn't go out until 1 a.m. and you wouldn't get home. Yeah. Oh, they'd stay out so late. Like, I was not. Yeah. So you'd go yeah, out. Yeah, your pregame didn't start till like 11. And yeah. then you'd leave the apartment <laughs> at like close to one and you'd be like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So that is true. It starts and you were getting home as the sun was rising. Mm hmm. What's the yeah. what's the time difference between Australia and the U.S.? Like 12, 14 hours, fourteen. 14. Yeah, central like Central yeah. time. It's like fifteen hours. So then it throws things off when we do. Was that was that yeah. hard then? Like to find time to communicate with your family since you're so far hours off. Kind yeah. of, because when we when we're going to bed, our families are like waking up. And then when we're waking up, they're going to bed. So that whole middle time, like it's, it's totally separate. Yeah. Like you definitely never yeah. talk throughout either of the days. Like yeah. my parents, yeah. Family, yeah. like they're not talking to me during the day and I'm during the day in Australia, not talking to them. But I mean, we'd schedule things where it'd be like 11 PM in, in Australia and I'd FaceTime them as they were getting their day started. So, yeah. <clears throat> Sure. I can add to that. You want me to go further with that? I, I mean, similar. They crushed it. I mean, yeah, it's not ideal really by any means, but it's kind of nice too because you kind of just take a break. Like I found myself in Australia like a lot, just not using my phone a ton. I'm just kind of taking a break and chilling. So I don't know. It had its plus side to it, but yeah, it's definitely difficult to like keep conversation rolling if you like need to be in contact with someone stateside. It's it's a tough one. Yeah. Now, football, football aside, um, just living life in Australia, could you or would you be, if you could, just live there as your life? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like if you just took America with an accent and then just said that, like, all the coolest places to live are all beach. It's just all beach. Everything's beach and water, like, the whole way around. And then you got the middle and you just leave that alone. And it's like the paradise and way less crime and it's like there's really a lot much downside <laughs> weather's beautiful so yeah. i don't know i would definitely live there and they love americans there nice too like, oh oh yeah. the wi-fi though is terrible in oh Australia. my goodness real bad wi-fi. that's a whole nother terrible. brought that home with them yeah you think my wi-fi is bad now dude it gets worse <laughs> <laughs> Wait, just across oh. the whole country, the Wi-Fi is just bad. Yeah, they're they're, they're like tech infrastructure no is really behind. Yeah, and uh, like quality Wi-Fi for a month is like three hundred dollars. They've got three G. <laughs> yeah, that's it. 
gosh. Me and Kaz were replenishing our router like every week, and it, we just we had to go to the casino every day at that point just to pay for. I was getting bill. sad. I was getting sad of how much I was paying for internet. I was like, oh. yeah. And that's also yeah. I mean, a big difference with internet in Australia is like you pay for like five hundred gigabytes of data. Of mm -hmm. So instead of it being like speeds and unlimited for the month, you get like an allotment of wi-fi and once you go through it like you have to rebuy it yeah imagine right. imagine that that's like 10 games of Fortnite. if you want to grind with your friends on the weekend or war zone <laughs> like, do? Yeah, no chance oh goodness a lot of land parties local parties for local. sure <laughs> <laughs> hey can we hop on your wi-fi please we really need to <laughs> oh my gosh dude my my first oh, yeah. year at university we it was the first year they had uh like Wi-Fi, you said otherwise you had to plug into the wall, and on the Wi-Fi you were given eight. You're old, of, dude. Yeah, you, you were given. Old. You were given. <laughs> <laughs> you were given eight gigs of Wi-Fi for the week, and if you went over that, like for streaming and stuff, it blocked you, and you had to go talk to your hall director. You had to then unban you. <laughs> My God. How many times were you banned, Matt? How many times? Only once. I had mono, so all I was doing was streaming Netflix, and it just banned me in like two days <laughs> oh jesus you're out of here pal but like the whole director made it like so serious he's like i don't want to see this happen again <laughs> <laughs> or what <laughs> oh man <laughs> I, so you were mentioning the casinos i feel like those are some got to be some good stories in there <laughs> If you want to hear the demise, the rise and fall of man, I have it for you. The short synopsis. <laughs> some some dark nights. So me, before this, dark I was I was I was fairly familiar with casinos. You know, you go in every once in a while here, mess around with some buddies, whatever. Well, I never played craps before. I went to Australia and Caban essentially almost ruined my life. He got pretty close, <laughs> but I battled I battled the addiction and I beat it. And <laughs> I'm here to tell the tale. So we went one night with our uh, backup keeper, Dino, at the time, and we started playing craps, and I had an unreal throw. I threw like 57 <laughs> times or something, but didn't know what I was doing or how to play, so I made no money. I made everybody at the table a lot of money, myself no money, but I was like hooked after that. It was so fun. So it was literally like three trolley stops away from our house, and the trolley was like a block, yeah. like on the block corner ten minute, where we Ten lived. minute ride, and we're there. So we'd jump on every day, just bum a ride. And we trained at night. So we'd get up in the morning usually and like eat, work out. And then we'd be like, all right, well, we've got 10 hours to go. So we'd go to the casino and just sit there, dude, sometimes for like eight hours at a crack, just playing craps. And we met some old dudes there and they were teaching us how to play and they were like big spenders. And then we started having some good days. We had some big ups. I think we almost we both won like a G, a little over a G one day. And then... We had yeah, some rough our days first five days, our first five days total, great. we were up about three to four grand. Our first five days, <laughs> it was a lot, and then it didn't end like that. So don't gamble. <laughs> we lost a lot of that. A lot of that didn't come home. <laughs> yeah, the, I feel a, like I saw that right in the the movie Twenty One. I saw that whole same arc of their demise <laughs> right there. Yeah, dude. some guy. What was it? there was a British guy named Rory who we became friends with later on, but early on. There was some Aussie guy who I'm pretty sure was like a hundred millionaire, maybe billionaire, who had a black card. Oh, Royce. In order to get a Royce, black, the Royce. old guy? Yeah. yeah. In order to get a black card, 
like if you have a black card at crown you can be anywhere on earth call the crown casino and they will fly you to melbourne like that's yeah. i don't know how much money you have to spend to get a black card <laughs> yeah. but that guy yeah. was on black card status he'd always invite us up to go to the the mahogany room upstairs like the room you could smoke cigars in and stuff he'd be like oh you guys should come on up and i'm like and he's like but the table betting minimum is like 25 dollars for any bet and i was like my yeah, guy, I gotta stay bet. at the five dollar table. My guy, I'm not up there. I'm not up there. Yeah, they yeah. have good, good buffet. Dude, the Crown Casino in Melbourne was huge. It was, it was one of the biggest places. There's a mall inside of it. So it's like right on the edge of the river, like right downtown Melbourne. So mm -hmm. it's gorgeous, like location. Inside, there's like a couple food courts. There's nightclubs. There's like shopping centers there's a mall inside of it like it is massive yeah there's like louis vuitton stores yeah. and like five-star restaurants it's like whoa yeah yeah <laughs> basically you're telling me i should have played in melbourne yes probably i'm just saying you could have came south it would have been fine <laughs> get get chased by a mom kangaroo go to the casino <laughs> yeah dude your choice choice is yours dang <laughs> Dang. Yeah, there were some long days there. There was there was a there was one day it took me eight hours. It took me I was there at for eight hours, a full working day, and I finished even, dead even. I was down about six hundred dollars, and I got super lucky for a few hours, and I ended up getting even. And then I left. We got there at like noon. I got home by like ten p.m. <laughs> it got to the point where Dave wouldn't wear certain shirts to the casino, dude. They had bad juju. We can only there was wear a green shirts shirt. to the casino, There was a green dude. shirt. Me and Kaz lost when I wore this green Nike shirt twice. And Kaz made waxed. me go change. He made me go change when I was wearing it. <laughs> I was like, I was like do we not wear that shirt to the casino today, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was bad. What, what's the, uh, the total losses over the season? <laughs> To be fair, I came out much. ahead, dude. I, I came out ahead, yeah. magically. I finished about dead even from the time that we started playing to the time, like two months later, to the time that we were like hung up, hung up the. We became gold members in a couple weeks. Actually, we were there so much. <laughs> but but we, you guys uh, want to know? You guys want to know what a teammate cabana will do to you? Okay, <laughs> so we'd go to the casino sometimes, and if I'd be throwing, we'd obviously <laughs> both be betting. And then if, like, he didn't feel the juju or something like that, he'd pull his bet. He'd be like, he's like, my bet's off. My bet's off. As if, like, he's saying he thinks I'm going to 7 now. Like, I'm going to screw the table. And he would, like, he'd turn his bet off, like, right before I'd throw. And I'd be like, oh. like, just no love at the table, dog? Like, we're going to do that? I was like, yeah, it got bad. It was intense. Jeez. No, no love for the teammate. No love, dog. Yeah, no Usually, like if someone throwing. throws, if you throw the dice and one of the dice goes out, goes off the table, you get to re-roll. But that's like really bad luck. So like, if Kaz accidentally threw off the table, I'd say like that's off. And then, <laughs> and then he'd wait for me to lose my money. <laughs> I feel like I'm like awakening something by talking about this. You're gonna soon as this ends, <laughs> straight we, to the casino. I think, I think, I think, yeah, we need to stop this right now, dude. I've only yeah, gone I mean, a couple times age. since coming back to the States, though. But it's like, it kind of scarred us. Because, like, most people, when they go to the casino, they'll go in with, like, $50, maybe $100. But they'll be like, oh. And so my friends that I tell about the crap stories, they'll be like, oh, how much should I come in with? Like, 50 bucks? I'm like, I'm going to come in with 400 You can come in <laughs> with whatever you like. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
Lenny yeah. was Lenny was spending that whole time googling what is craps. <laughs> Spot on. Oh gosh, dude! I had a I was at a bachelor party one time, and we were at uh, the casino in was that Aurora? Yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So we like go there, and the guys it's bad is it's his bachelor party, and he's up like. 400 something dollars and he's like yeah like i'm gonna buy a new xbox whatever like so excited we go we have a hotel across the street for the night we go back to the hotel we are in like out of our clothes like you know pajamas whatever it's five in the morning i'm laying in bed next to him and i go hey man but think about if you doubled it and had 800 then you get the xbox and any games you want goes back, get him to take his clothes, like get out of bed at five in the morning, put his clothes back on, Oh God. goes back, loses all of it inside of 20 minutes. <laughs> and then I go, You're awful. And, uh, no, You're this awful. is what I said to him though. I said, I hope you learned a valuable lesson. Always stop when you're ahead. I would be so sad. <laughs> He's never wanted to go back. I'd be gutted. <laughs> Oh God! Unreal. Kaban, you were you were talking about as you got into Oz a little longer, it got a little wilder. Yeah, that's more of like a on the soccer end. Um, and go for it. I mean, I can say I I have a degree in psychology, so I'm not I don't have a master's degree, I don't have a doctorate, but I don't think I'm out of my realm of expertise in saying that my former coach had narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did this, please, yeah, please yeah. do tell. Um, it, it was just really strange. Um, like, obviously, I had experience with the Puerto Rican national team, played in Sweden for a few years. Like, obviously, I'm not Ronaldo. Like, I didn't come in there with like Mr. Big Shot. Like, I just wanted to have, enjoy playing soccer. And, um, and he just I think I we were, we were both like we both played center midfield we we're both like similar height as well like I guess we we're probably both like like pretty similar to like Atlanta like me and Leonard were like like it's like a like a hard nose like number six kind of player and like I, I don't know if he was like threatened <laughs> by me or something but it was just really it got really like everything nothing I could do was right there was a, pre, a, a preseason game I had like the pre-assist like the like the pass before the assist like set up a few goals and he like gave me shit that I didn't run enough, even though like I told him I was coming in on an ankle injury and like, obviously I was just training bridges. So like, I wasn't match fit at all. Well, I um, forgot about that. The ankle. Yeah. Isn't that when your ankle yeah, had, like spun like way, way out? Yeah. My ankle spun up like over 90 degrees, like to the outside <laughs> during a bridges session. It's just terrible. And, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I was wearing like vapors, like I was wearing vapors. So like the super aggressive studs just like stuck into the turf. Um, so I was still coming off of that. I mean, I was still playing decent despite like being only probably like 60% fit just because of my ankle. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just almost the whole season, just taking jabs all year. And it got to the point where like, I was getting obsessive. I know I'm going to divulge. I'm not laughing here, at so you. Like, I'm laughing at Kaz. Kaz is making me laugh. <laughs> That dang ankle. I'm being teleported, bro, back to a different time. <laughs> so just don't, don't look at Kaban's face. 
two players on our team. This is before Kaz got there, but there were two players on our team. uh, Zach, who's actually from Ohio, and Christian Sarkis, who actually used to be like a really good player. Like he was like, he almost went to the 2006 World Cup with Australia. He was like the 24th or 25th man, but they could obviously only bring 23 guys. Um, So they're both like really good players. And he would just always rip on me like, oh, you're not, you're not like Zach, mate. You're not like, you're not making an impact like Sockies, mate. And I'm like, I'm playing perfectly fine. Like, what are you talking about? So like, I had a lot of time in my hands before Kaz got there and all of our games were on huddle. And I literally like took down statistics of like, like I literally, I was that bored and I had that much time in my hands and I was that frustrated. And I had a private meeting with him one day. So Thursday nights, we'd have like team dinner night. Um, which is a whole nother story in its own. But Thursday nights was team dinner night. And I waited for all the players to leave, all the staff to leave. I'm like, Sturge, can we just have a one-on-one conversation? Like, obviously, like, if someone's going to wait for everyone to leave and take you to a private room, what does that mean? Uh, I probably want to keep this private. Um, so I talk to him. I give him my little spiel. And he, like, the, the reason I did the whole stats thing is because all preseason and early season he's like I'm a stats guy mate I'm a stats guy mate so I'm like all right well I'm gonna hit you with some numbers and he's like he just basically just told me so I basically told him I'm like well like if Zach and Sarkis are like the pinnacle of the team like and you look at my numbers they're actually similar or better than them in like all these categories um so I'm like and he's like if those stats help you sleep at night like he just totally went like he just totally mugged he just totally fucking mugged me off and then he went and told Zach about that conversation right after. And uh, I didn't know about that for months until Zach like let it drop in the group chat. And then it ended up that like he lied to Zach and a few other players about what I actually said. Cause I was super complimentary of Zach and, and Sarkis. I was like, they're really good players. I'm not saying that they're bad players. I'm just saying that like I'm, com- I'm performing on their level. And uh like he mugged, he made it seem like I called Zach a crap player. He made all, he made it seem like all these things. And then after it came out to the team, then the whole team just kind of, he lost the locker room after that point. Like every time, I did, drama. every time I did something good, the team would lose their, I could complete a simple back pass to the keeper and our team would be like, great pass, Davo. Like they would just <laughs> go above and beyond to like, make sure that like, yeah, it was, but it was crazy. He was yeah, I don't really know what what good terms, appropriate terms I can use. There probably aren't any, but uh, yeah, it was it when it, and I know and it it doesn't even sound as bad as I'm explaining it, but Kaz can attest to it. It was every session, every day, no matter what I did. He would like poor Davo. Poor Davo was the punching bag. He was just everything. There was, was a trip. We, we did a finishing session, and I scored like four of my five shots. Like I was on fire. And our keeper, he was like, Davo, like, you're a really good finisher. And Sturge goes up to our keeper, like, behind the goal. He's like, he's like, Large, don't tell him that he's good at shooting. He's going to get confident. Like, he, that's what he told him. Like, <laughs> like just completely trying to, yeah. Trying I'll be to honest with you, Gaffa uses some of those same tactics. I've seen him do it once or twice. <laughs> Don't give Kaz the confidence. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big I've sad guy. So. I've seen this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a pretty. But what, it was cool to see like the guys rally around me and like it kind of brought me closer to my teammates. I was pretty close to them. Like it was probably the best locker room I've ever been in. Um, so it was pretty nice that like on from the team standpoint that they all had my back. So that helped keep me sane. Yeah, that's tough to to perform well when you have 
a coach like that. Yeah. Undermining everything. I was thinking literally everything. Yo, that sounds like uh, in the office when Michael's talking about like Pam or whatever. And he's like, oh, she's like a really great artist. I would never tell her that to her face. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love the, yeah. I felt more like a Toby, actually. Every t- every every time I walked in the room. Oh, it was that bad. Oh, it was it was bad. It was bad. Oh my god, dude, that's bad because that's where like asbestos is a silent killer. And he goes, "You're this. You're the silent killer, Toby." You're the silent killer, Toby. <laughs> so what what did you say at the end of the season when you guys like parted ways? Did you let it let it fly a little? Not really. I played a pretty PG because the last, the last 10 games of the season, I played out of my mind. Like I was like, you know what? Like F this, like, I'm just going to like do me. I'm just going to enjoy it. And the last 10 games of the season, I was, I was playing really, really well. And like, at that point, like I was playing so well, I couldn't really like deny that I was. So he's like, I'd really love to have you back. Like you try to be all nice to me. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Like, I'm not sure. Like, and then like, I just kind of mugged him off. I didn't really, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really start any confrontation. But a couple weeks later, he got into a conversation with our goalkeeper. This is when I was back home in the States. And our goalkeeper actually like let him have it because he was, uh, he had an argument with our goalkeeper because he didn't want to resign our goalkeeper because they thought our goalkeeper was too big of a personality, even though he was like the glue to the whole team. Mind you, he was and, a, big boy big yeah. boy large his literally his, his nickname was large his nickname was large for that reason but his nickname was also large yeah so okay large, carry on Davo. sorry yeah no large uh, that was some great added added commentary we needed yeah large let him have it. he uh he just was like we all know that you lied to the team about what Davo said like we all know like you don't think we see through all that and he brought up a few other instances that don't have to do with me with other players. Like, we know you lied about this. We know you lied about that. He's like, you lost the whole locker room halfway through the season. And he just let him have it and just kind of, and then that was the last I heard of him. And then he got fired from Bowie a few games into the 2019 season because they were not playing well. And um, yeah, I hope he doesn't find happiness. (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh my gosh ESPN this just in <laughs> oh my god um, Nick Lenny you guys like your coaches <laughs> so yeah my, was... my coach was was hard he was harsh he was a, a <clears throat> 65 year old British guy from Leeds so he played for Leeds for about 8 to 10 seasons and I mean, he knew everything about the game and he played center back. And obviously being a center back myself, like I just wanted to listen and absorb everything, but he played very classic old fashioned English football. So it wasn't a whole lot of possession. It was basically defend and win by pressing and winning the ball in, in their defensive third. So we can just go counter. Um, but I mean, he was he was harsh, but at the same time, like he would praise when you would do good, which I think is is the right balance as a coach, right? Like if someone's not performing to the standards that you need them to, you got to get on them. But at the same time, if someone is performing well, you've got to show praise. So I, I did definitely 
Absolutely not. Never show praise. I really liked the balance of that. Um, and he was just funny. Like we would be up three nil at half and someone would be mainly me would be talking to the refs too much. And he would for about five of the 10 minutes at halftime would just rip into me about shutting my mouth and this. And then he would just say he was having a cig. He'd go out the, the changing room, he'd have a cigarette and he'd let us deal with it. So like, it was very old school classic. Um, but I mean, I learned so much just about the game and, and especially defending from him because of his, I mean, his resume, not only playing, but coaching for playing in, in the premier league and league one for years. Like, I don't think I ever learned as much as I did in that one year. So I, I had a great experience that was in Hobart. And then when I was in Melbourne for preseason, we had a player coach actually. Um, so he was, I think like young or mid thirties, but he was a baller. So he played in English league one. So third tier over in England um, had like over 200 caps in that league. And like, he was a beast. He was so good and I guess he blew out his knee when he was younger so then his agent had contacts over in Australia and he got hooked up with Hume City and he had been there for basically his entire career he captained them for like eight years and got residency as an Australian and then he took over as coach um, and he didn't play as much but like he trained with us he was the best player on the ground hands down but also like he studied the game he knew the game and he was more possession oriented and playing out of the back and keeping it and playing more, more beautiful soccer, which I enjoyed um, as more of a ball playing center back. I liked that. So uh, yeah, I kind of had two different, two different, I guess, mindsets or different ways of playing, but I, I enjoyed them both. Definitely. You had the old school and the new school. Exactly. <clears throat> Is it true or false that your GM was an absolute nutter? So yes, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I heard uh, Hume City. I've heard uh, so many rumors. So, got a sketchy he, reputation. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's definitely some stories that are like you hear about, and you're like, I don't really know if I, I should sign for the club. Uh, <laughs> basically, he was more or less like a gangster. Like that was what That's he tight to make money. Um, and you didn't really ask questions. You didn't really deal with him at all. Like I met him once when I signed my contract and that was basically it. He sat up in his office in the top of the stadium, never left it. You didn't talk to him. You dealt with his like secondhand man and you dealt the with board the board. Oh I think you dealt he, all the subordinates dealt with you. Yeah. He was the big <laughs> um, but no, I mean, there were definitely like rumors of different stories that had gone around of him, like pulling guns on players. <laughs> That's the one I heard. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, I, heard he pulled, I heard he brandished. He already brandished a weapon at a referee. So I don't know if this is true, but the story that I was told before signing, because I had a couple. So when I played in in Tasmania, I had a teammate of mine who played in Melbourne with Bentley Greens, like one of the mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. clubs over there. He played for them for like eight or ten years, and then he was from Hobart, so he was just a fly-in. So he didn't train gotcha. with us. He trained with Avondale who were in NPL in, in Melbourne, and then he yeah. would play over with us for games. And he was telling me some stories about how Steve, the owner of Hume, um, like there was a player that they had, it was a couple years before I was there, but 
he was like going out and partying, didn't care about football, was basically just taking the piss and collecting yeah. a paycheck every week. And Steve didn't like that. Steve wasn't going to put up with that. So he took the guy out to dinner. This is the rumored story. Okay. He took the player out to dinner, just them two, at like a super fancy restaurant in Melbourne. And they were just having like a casual, nice conversation. And then he started saying like, hey, I don't think your, your mind is in the right place. Like you're taking advantage of the situation. I don't like that. And the rumor is that he pulled out a gun, he set it on the table. And he said, don't make me, he said, don't make me use this. He said, use your head and get your head right. In front of, pay? I mean, it was a packed restaurant and he just put it on the table. Did he pay for dinner at least? I got no idea. I was just like, look, I'm here to play play some good football. It was a good setup. Like their facilities were awesome. And yeah, it is beautiful. He was, he was pumping a, a lot of money into the club. Um, and he was really passionate about it, but his passion was a little extreme at times, for sure. Amazing. He didn't funnel it in the right way. Yeah, it was uh, – was- <laughs> so they were all, like, screaming at us in that language, and I had no idea what they were saying. I just you know, tried to play my footy. <laughs> Lenny, you got yeah. no guns, anything? Listen, no, I heard I'm so anticlimactic compared to you. <laughs> I just tried to avoid. I, uh, yeah, for real. My uh, my coach uh, played in Wales, and he was a uh, tactician for sure, um, <coughs> which was one of the reasons why I actually went over to Australia. Um, the most important side of football for him was the technical side, uh, which is ironic for me, which was a great fit. Um, so, like, I'm going <laughs> – what's so funny, guys? Come on. You're not the dog. You start laughing. <laughs> nah, uh, but the uh, yeah, the technical part, like we all know, like was one of the parts of soccer that I needed to improve, especially uh, to add on to my game. And this guy would spend hours with me before practices throughout the week, just send me up through you know different individual drills and stuff like that. Whereas I might be at a different level, uh, higher than some of these other players. Technically, they were they were at an edge, right? Because this coach, like I said, I don't know if you guys ever watched Wales, but um, they're obviously not a big um, soccer country now, but back then they used to be a big technical, big technical team. And when he played, uh, he was an attacking mid, and he kind of always would show video from like the old Wales national team, and that was kind of his philosophy, which is kind of cool for me to be in an environment where you know I, I'm every single day kind of working on my craft that I'm not good at. Um, so that was a good experience for me. I had him for one half the season, um, and then I had an English guy come in. Um, he was more uh, blue-collar worker-esque, so me and him uh, kind of got along right away. Um, so that was that was a good fit. But all in all, my both my coaches in Australia kind of took took me to the next level. I still keep in contact with all those guys today, um, and it was kind of fun because I lived with a host family in Australia, um, so I got to uh, see the touristy side of it, but I also got to see the family side of it too. Um, and they had they had a son, and it was just overall my time in Australia was was very well spent, soccer and non soccer related. So no guns, no. <laughs> so wholesome. No six hundred dollar casino deaths. No, uh, I, I was wow. chilling. Man. Wow, big chilling. Yeah, Lenny, so. you just had like the chill Australian. I experience. did. I did. I was on the beach. Every time after practice, I I'd tell all the guys, I was on the beach all the time. I got a, uh, one of the boys on the team's a surfer. So he took me to, uh, can't even think it, uh, the beach um, in Gold Coast. 
What Byron Bay? Things? What was it? Byron Bay? Myron Bay. We would go there every, every Thursday and Friday after practice, and we'd go out. And you, you knew if you weren't good enough, you, you didn't jump off the rocks with the other surfers. You just kind of swam out and, and watched them on your surfboard and pretended you were surfing. That was me. Yeah. What they would do is they'd pull up in their trucks. They'd all grab their boards. And then, yeah, all right, mate, let's go. And I'd be running behind them. They'd jump off the cliffs onto the waves. I'd be like, all right, I'll walk down and around and kind of paddle out. <laughs> guys. So, it was fun, though. It was, it was a really cool experience and stuff like that. There were hundreds of surfers every single day there. So that was a big part of Australia for me, too. How, uh, how long did it take you to get up on a surfboard? Um, so I actually learned how to surf uh, like a couple of years ago um, in Hawaii. And then I have my, I have two of my own boards in Florida that are from Florida. So I, I surf occasionally, but these guys are next level. These guys are, these guys got their GoPros on their head. I saw a guy that had to be about 75 years old and he had his long board going out with his hat. It didn't even get wet. He stood up and he, he was just kind of floating right in. So these guys are next level. They have the balance they have. I mean, they've grown up doing it. So it's more natural to them. So I'm, uh, I'm still waiting to get up is your answer. I'm still waiting to get up. You know, <laughs> I like. I appreciate the honesty. Um, I feel like we have to have Nick share his great story. I feel like that can't be overlooked. Yeah, I mean, earlier you were talking about like, hey, would we move back? And I'm like counting down the months till I'm unbanned. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess we'll start from there. So, season one ended in Tasmania. I signed a contract in Melbourne came home for about a month, trained at Bridges. And then I went back, this was to Hume for preseason. And it was about, I don't know, maybe two months of preseason that we did. Um, training, I think we trained four days a week, something like that. And then we had friendlies every weekend. I was playing in games, I was doing real well. Um, and then, so the biggest issue with getting your second year is one, either you got to go do farm work or like manual labor, or two, you got to get a club to sponsor your visa. So when my first season ended and I was looking at clubs in bigger cities like Sydney, Melbourne, some of the, the better NPLs, which is the second tier in Australia, um, I was reaching out to teams, a couple of teams were reaching out to me and Hume's head coach um, reached out to me and he was an English player who had had his visa sponsored. So he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, we're interested to have you come out. So when the season ended, I actually went out and I played like a trial match with them. We talked through some things and he was like, look, the, the visa is not going to be an issue. It's no big deal. We sponsor, we sponsor players all the time. So I figured that was probably the, the best case scenario because all the other clubs that I talked to, it, it wasn't in their cards to sponsor a player who needed a visa sponsor. So I had all of the, um, basically you need a bunch of paperwork that more or less is a shady way of saying you did the work, even though you did it. So they had, again, my boy, Steve, the owner had some farms that he worked with that would write off the hours saying that I worked at a farm, even though I didn't, I was just training in preseason. And in order to apply, like you go on whatever the visa website is, and you enter in all the details for what dates you worked and all that, where you worked, the farm, a contact and all that. I had that all given to me. So they gave it to me and this was probably two days before my first visa ex expired. 
I went on the website, I plugged in all the details, I hit submit and I got like an error message. And it just said like zip code is invalid. But I had a sheet that had all the zip codes on there for where you had to work and it was on there. And I was like, this makes no sense. So I called my head coach cause he was the one who was helping me do everything. And he ended up meeting me at a mall and we were like going through it. And there was like a little link at the bottom cause it still wouldn't go through. I tried to submit it like three times and it just didn't work, which probably was a red flag in the first place. But he came over and I, I saw on the bottom of the sheet of paper with all the zip codes, it was like, for more information, go to this website. So I went to the website and I looked and it said, I think my visa was like a 417 maybe. I don't, I don't remember the exact yeah. number, but it was like a 417 and the, the zip codes because I was the first American who had ever signed for Hume. So they assumed that the zip codes worked, but the zip code that they gave me for the farm only worked for Commonwealth countries. So it oh, yeah. worked for Canada, England, any country that was Commonwealth, you could get that second yeah. year extension. But as an American, I couldn't. And I found that <laughs> a day before my visa expired. <laughs> so I was just panicked 24 hours i'm meeting with my coach i'm like what do i do he's like well one you have two options he's like one you just stay and like live here illegally and whenever you go home <laughs> he was like you're probably gonna pay a hefty fine or you're gonna get like arrested at the border and i was like well one like i mean footy's pretty big there i was like there's gonna be articles written if they know i haven't left like who knows what's gonna happen am i gonna get like cuffed on the field i don't know so i didn't want to go with that route so he was like okay the second best choice is to go out of the country like somewhere close new zealand somewhere in asia for like a week or so apply for a tourist visa and try to get back in and then they were going to try to figure out the visa stuff on that end while i was back in on a tourist visa so my visa ended, I left the country and I went to Indonesia. There was actually a college buddy of mine whose family is Indonesian, so they were all out there. So I flew out to Jakarta, Indonesia. <laughs> spent six days there, which was so fun. It was sweet. I was at a decent hotel. Like, I mean, I couldn't drive. The place is crazy. Everyone on mopeds and stuff, but I had to leave the country. Uh, when I was at the hotel, I applied for my tourist visa. It got approved online, no problems. And then I was coming back like six days later. So I flew back, I arrived in Sydney and everything in terms of getting in and out of the border is automated. It's through your passport. So you scan it, it prints you a ticket, you put it in a machine, it takes a picture of you, you're in the country. You never really deal with border people unless there's issues. So when I was scanning my passport to try and get the ticket, it just kept giving me an error message. And of course, I start like kind of freaking out a little bit, heart rates beating a bit. But the person in front of me who was using the machine, it had the same message. So I thought it was a machine error. And it said, please see like customs agent. So I walked to the customs, whatever, glass agent, and I handed my passport and I handed my info and he runs some things. And I'm like freaking out inside because I know like I, I couldn't get back in legally because i was going to be getting paid and on a tourist visa you can't get paid because you're only there as a tourist so he runs some stuff and then his first question to me was well have you been to australia before and i was like yeah i was like i i was i mean he knew 
so I was just being honest with them. I was like, yeah, I just I actually just finished like a work holiday visa. I was like, but I want to continue to like do tourist things. Cause I, I had That's to, a fair argument. Yeah. I had, I had to, I had to basically be very black and white and obviously not say, Hey, I'm play, here to play soccer and make money. But I had to explain that I had met some people in Melbourne and that I wanted to continue to travel around. So then he was asking me, well, how was I going to afford it? So I had to show him on my phone, like my bank statements that I had enough money to survive. And he was like, where are you staying? And I was like, oh, at friend's house. And they were like, your friends are just going to let you stay there. And I was like, yeah, they're my friends. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then he was like, okay, like, do you have bags? And I, I had a carry on. So I went and got that, but I had him walk with me everywhere. And then he was like, okay, well, we need to take your phone. And okay, I could have probably said no, but then they would have just not let me in the country. So I gave yeah. them my phone and I was like, okay. And they put me in a holding cell. So it's basically like- Been there, brother, been in, there. Yeah, basically an interrogation room, uh, locked on both sides. There's a buzzer on the wall. You got to push if you need something. How much and, are you freaking out? Oh, I'm shaking, I'm sweating. Like, <laughs> it looks like you just got out of the pool. Yeah. Oh, I mean, at, at that point, the minute they took my phone, I knew I was screwed. Um, because like I had been texting my coach about it. I was texting my parents about what I was doing. I had my contract on my email. Like I had everything. So I'm sitting in this room for probably an hour. And I don't know if they're just sweating me out or they're like actually just trying to find stuff. But I'm in this room by myself for an hour. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's doing anything. And I had a connection flight from Sydney to Melbourne that I obviously missed. But so then these two guys come in and they start asking me like some simple questions about what I was doing, what I had done. And I was again, trying to be very vague, not really give them concrete answers. And then they pull out about 10 pieces of paper that they slap on the table. And then they pull out a video camera and they pull out a micro, like a recorder, voice recorder. And they're like, all right, well, we're actually conducting a legal like uh interrogation a legal interrogation because we believe that you're here to work and you're not on a work visa and like i mean the, the printed pieces of paper they had were texts with my coach saying how we could like get around the system it was my contract three-page contract printed out saying x amount i was getting paid every week and at that point i was just like what do you want me to say like yeah you got you you got me like, I was like, that's I'm, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whose phone is this? Yeah, I stole that phone. Um, but yeah, so at that point, I just was, I had to be honest. I was like, yeah, look, I was here to play soccer. My club messed up the paperwork and they went through all my stuff. So they went through my backpack, my bag, and I had all my farm paperwork in my backpack. And they saw it and they were like, well, did you even do the farm work? And I was like, no, but like, you know that. And then they basically said they would give me a half hour to like come up with an argument or a defense for why they should let me in the country, which I mean, I was never going to win that. <laughs> Nothing I said would have mattered. You just write sorry. <laughs> yeah. So then they come back in. Frown face. And you use that half hour? Yeah. For, well, they left. And so I, they just left you. All right, good luck. Half, half hour. And then they were just like, all right, we'll give you a half hour. And when they first started questioning me, like they were very intense and like very intimidating. I mean, that's their job. 
but then once I was honest with them, I was like, look, I was here to play soccer. Like Australia used to have a sports visa, so it wouldn't have been a problem, but they got rid of that like three years ago. So that wasn't an option. And I was just like, look, I was, I was trying to still play soccer. Like I'm chasing a dream and I obviously didn't go about it the right way. And I asked them if there was any way that I could get like a three day grace period to just get my stuff because I had everything in a house. I was living with three guys in, in Melbourne and like I had everything, all my stuff was there and all I had was a little carry on. And I mean, they basically were just like, no, there's no chance you get that. And then they told me that. <laughs> that belongs to Australia now. <laughs> they, had, they had to keep me in holding until they could find a flight for me to get on, to get out of the country. And if they couldn't find a flight that day, then I would have had to spend the night. You had to swear. Again. And then, no. <laughs> yeah, and I had to just chuck me off the edge and say, start swimming. Um, but no, they told me if they couldn't find a flight, then I would have to spend the night in jail, which fortunately I did not have to do. But um, I had like a little desk phone that I knew my parents' home phone. And it was like 4.30 in the morning, their time. And I knew it was going to pop up as some random number and they weren't going to answer it. So I called like four times in a row until finally my mom picked up and I was like, Hey mom, like <laughs> I'm kind of locked up in Australia. Um, I'm coming home. And so I explained the situation. And then my dad actually looked online for flights that had open seats for me to like basically demand to get put on because I, I didn't know if they were going to actually try and search for a flight. I didn't know what they were planning to do. Like I wasn't really their problem. They were just going to hold me. <clears throat> so there was a flight like five or six hours later that I was able to get a ticket on. And so then they had to call in like the Qantas agent to come in and he asked me what happened. So I had to explain the whole thing to him. Then I bought a flight or a, a seat on the flight. And then because it was like five hours later, they couldn't keep me in the interrogation room. So then they have these like holding cells that they put me in with like a cot. So I was in this thing sleeping, trying to, I was so jet lagged because Indonesia is eight hours difference from Sydney. So I had flown from Jakarta to Indonesia. And then I didn't know what day or time it was. I was locked up sleeping on this cot. If Where I, am I? If I wanted anything, I had to push a buzzer on the wall and have like someone unlock me and ask what I needed to do. If I had to go pee, I had two agents walk me to the bathroom stand outside the stall while I peed I got out and then they'd have to walk me back like I'm stuck in the airport I'm not going anywhere but I guess that was their procedures that they had to follow and it was very embarrassing I got a lot of dirty looks <laughs> and then they basically had to take me through like back rooms and hallways in the actual airport to get me onto the flight because I couldn't be loaded onto the airplane through the main gate because I would be seen as a threat. Well, I had to go through like these back hallways and areas. And then the agents, the border guys gave my passport, my phone and my wallet to the like lead flight attendant. And the one restriction for like a deportee was that I couldn't have any alcohol on the flight, which I was like, okay, whatever. I just want to go home. And then it was up to his discretion for when I would get my stuff back. 
obviously once I landed, I would get it, but he could give it to me immediately. He could give it to, give it to me halfway through. And he asked me what happened. And I was like, look, I was just trying to play soccer. Like I didn't even do anything. And so he gave it to me right away. And then it was, I got a flight to Dallas and I got a flight from Dallas. I was wait real quick. I was going to hope that he was going to say, you have 30 minutes. time to convince me why you need your phone oh no way but yeah so it was it was pretty intimidating pretty wild and and so yeah they told me i'm banned for three years so this upcoming january will be when the ban is lifted and then we're gonna have a ban lift party is absolutely (laughs) um and then they basically told me that if there was any reason why I needed to visit Australia in that three-year ban period that I could go to like the embassy in the U.S. and explain reasonings why and like I mean I haven't needed to go or wanted to go so I that was more or less the deportation story and so yeah I'm blacklisted until this January from Australia why did you not call Steve with your phone call I didn't have his number I had to have my mom Facebook message my coach to tell him that I wasn't going to arrive in Melbourne because he was going to pick me up from the airport and take me back to my house. And then, so the two kids I was living with, it was our keeper and then our left back who the left back was another import. He's Canadian. Uh, He actually plays in Finland now, but my mom messaged all of them and was like, look, Nick's not coming back. And then like a week later I had, I, I think like two days later, I ended up going back to Bridges and Brett was like, what, what are you doing here? You know, freaking Brett, <laughs> so confused thinking I was still in Australia. So I'd explain to him the whole story. And then, yeah, I don't know, like two weeks later, I went down to Pittsburgh, was on trial with the Riverhounds for like five weeks. And then they released me like two days before the season started and I, I hung them up. Classic USO. I know. Like what a guy. Do you ever get your bags back? I did. So I FaceTimed my buddy, the Canadian Zach, and I had to go through everything that I wanted to keep. And I was like dealing with the club, trying to get them to pay for my stuff to get sent back because it was their fault that I was deported in the first place. But working with a mobster is not necessarily the easiest. So I was dealing with the head coach who had to talk to ownership and try and get money from them. And he just basically said, look, he's not our problem anymore. We got to find another import. So he wasn't paying a dollar for me to get my stuff back. So not only did I have to pay for my own deportation flight home, but then I had to pay $1,000 to ship two suitcases of my stuff back home. Hey, it makes some of Caban's nights at the, at the casino not look so bad. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. But now, when it, yo, when it happened, I was uh, I was watching that Australian Border Patrol show, hoping you would pop up on one of them. <laughs> That's funny, man. That would have been a good one. I think I would have been decent on the episode. Besides me, like crying and stuff. That's just. Did, uh, did anyone else have any issues going through security? Because I know they're pretty notorious at customs. Nah. No, it was pretty smooth. Tail. Zero. Yeah, I know they've gotten a lot more strict, I think, after, I don't know, after all of this, they've 
I've heard of at least a couple people who have ran it, run into the same issue. Just trying to play. I know a few others who have the three year ban, dude. There's a few. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. had this kid Nick come through who just changed our entire system in the airport. So we got to really lock things down. <laughs> but and the, a big the, threat. The thing that I learned was like you can definitely still get away with doing the tourist visa, but you have to go home for a much longer duration of time. Mm-hmm. The I think the reason I was flagged was because I left only for six days. So yeah. there's people I know who have gone home for three, four months in between seasons, trained, stayed fit. Then they go back on a tourist visa and they're fine. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing that's so flat. Like wipe, wipe your email, wipe your text. Yeah, have well, some, and that have was some a fake thing. conversation saying, "Can't wait to see you, bro." Like, yeah, I had a, I had a couple buddies who were trying to do the same thing, but they had been home for a little longer, um, and they obviously saw what happened and they reached out to me, and I was just like, "Dude, you can't have anything on your phone." I was like, "Literally everything needs to be deleted." I was like, "No messages, nothing." Because, I mean, that was their only proof, right? They would have had, like, hunches about it. But once they had the solid proof of my contract, that was... I'm over. GG. Did you, you should have said you're, like, a YouTuber and you make, like, fake videos and you were, like, the contracts and all were just made up and you were just, you know, making a fake <laughs> video that you were playing football down no, there. An no, elaborate lie. The issue Thanks. about it, too, is that there had been two preseason articles written about the upcoming season and... One of them was about my partnership with the other center back, and it was very, fairly obvious that I was there to play football. And like, yeah. <laughs> but oh god, story for the ages, you know. How terrible did you feel on that flight home? On the flight, it was like a relief because I was just getting out of there. Like I just wanted to get home at that point. But like while I was in the like holding cell for like five hours my mind was just racing i was just like i don't even know what to do like who knows what's going to happen i didn't even know if i was going to get onto a flight and then once once i was on the plane it was actually like a relief because i was heading home you know yeah yeah uh it's not an australian story but i feel like if we're talking about holding south Kazi, you should share your your uh your own experience oh yeah lucky me uh yeah uh so yeah so similar similar i'd say i but not really i was just going back for regular uh preseason this year and this was like when the whole pandemic thing like very first started so i kind of knew it was going to be risky anyways and they had been talking for like a week about oh the borders are going to close like any day but i hadn't heard anything so i was like all right let's get out of here so i left with our keeper tony uh both out of o'hare and we it, we were buzzing to be honest with you this this trip couldn't have been better to start we got bumped up to business class for free i was eating cheese boards and drinking champagne on the flight i mean this was the as good as it gets going to london <clears throat> and i get to london with my the keeper and uh we have like a few hour layover everything's all good so like we were very confident at this point we're like if we got here with no issues like the last step really can't be an issue i doubt at this point so we get to the uh, the desk for our flight to check in, and I'm in front, and Tony's behind me. And I get to there, and I hand her my U.S. passport, and she's like, looks at her partner, and I'm like, "Up, oh, we're in trouble. This ain't good." And she goes, "Are we letting these in?" And he goes, "No, not unless they have a work visa or proof that they were here the year before and coming back for work now." 
So thankfully, I had my expired work visa on me from the year before in my wallet. So I just I showed them that, and they didn't know what they were looking at. They just like looked at it. They're like, "Oh, you're good. Let me through." Tony gets flagged right behind me. <laughs> Literally booted on the spot. They were not having any of it. It was like a <laughs> two-minute conversation. Tony got booted. So I'm like laughing, but also like calling him like at the same time, like, "Oh, dude, this is wild." So I got on my flight. I made it all the way to Helsinki, and. Uh, I land and I'm like, yo, we're good. Like, I'm here. Like, this is, we got to be golden. I called Gaffa. I'm like, hey, I landed. I made it through the first round of security. Like, I think we're golden. And then I walk like around the corner and I saw the actual customs agents. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, no. So then I get to the, the thing, like the gate. It's like the final boss you're battling. So I get to the guy, get to the little gate. And he's like, ask me what's up. And I give him my passport. And he's like, what are you doing here? That's literally what he said. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm here to play football. Like, I have my contract and everything I can show you. Um, and he goes, no, like, what are you doing here? Because, like, the borders are closed. I was like, well, this is news to me, man. I, it wasn't closed when I left Chicago. I go, you guys closed them while I was midair. I was like, how would I know that? And then he's like, yeah. He goes, because originally I gave him my thing, and he was just going to override it in the system. But they had, like, a new protocol for the whole COVID thing. So then he had to call his superior who came down. And then, like, looked at my case. And then he's like, well, we're looking at your case. They did the whole, like, come with me. Took me to the little holding cell. So at first, I was in, like, a Gen Pop holding cell. It was just, like, me and, like, five people. And it was all chill. And then, like, some of the people in my holding cell were not all right. They were, like, losing their minds. So then, like, a few people were getting, like, shuffled around and stuff. And then after waiting for three hours of just doing nothing, just me sitting there, just being like, all right, well let's just kick me out already. Like I didn't even care at this point of like staying or getting kicked out. I was like, but if we could get like moving in a direction, this would be nice. And then the dude comes in finally and he's like, all right, so here's the situation. Um, we're not going to let you stay. We'll find you the next like closest flight, but like we got to keep you in here until the whole terminal shuts down for the night. Cause like security reasons. So you don't flee. And if I was just going to run, I was just going to book it. Dude, so, I was like, where am I going? I'm in an airport. <laughs> I was like, my guy. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. So I stayed there for like another hour and a half. And then everything closed. It was night already. And then, uh, yeah, they let me sleep in the food court, essentially, with three other people in the entire terminal. And it was just us four people sleeping in the sleep food court. Time. Yeah, just about to get sent home. And then the next day, uh, I woke up. And I handled, like, all of my own flight stuff. I went to the thin air desk. I got it all, like, redone for me. And they covered my flight, thank God, getting kicked out of there. So it was all good. But um, the next morning, the guy comes in, and he still had my passports. Or, no, I had my passport. The cop came and found me in the morning, like, sleeping. And he was like, all right, um, so I have your tickets and passport, but now you have to go sign them out, like, at the desk. So I went to, like, the desk, and I signed it out. And then they cuffed me. And then they're like, all right, well, now we got to walk you to the plane. I'm like, what is going on? And then on my ticket, it said, like, priority security, as if I was, like, I don't – I didn't know, as if I was, like, a security threat. And then as I was walking to the plane, the two people were like, well, what did you – like, what happened? And I was just telling them. I was just like, oh, I'm just here for football. I have my contract and everything, but they said the border closed. And they're like, we think they mixed up your file or something because, like, we shouldn't be handcuffing you and walking you to this plane right now. This is <laughs> a bit of overkill. I was just like, oh, whatever. I was like, it's kind of weird, but – I didn't make it to Finland. And then I tried to go to Finland again like a week ago, and then I didn't even make it out of Chicago. So we're just, we're digressing, dude. We're, just, we're getting worse. I don't know what to do next.
Next there. time you try to that's go, it. the car will break down. You won't be able to even get out of your house. I'm not even getting out of my driveway next time. That's where, that's where we're on track for. <laughs> yeah. So, Who knew football could lead to, to so many problems with borders? <laughs> and we battle on. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. All right. Does anybody have any uh, any final story that came to them or any final thoughts on Australia and their soccer career there or anything off the field they would like to share? I scored a free kick in, when I was in Australia, but ended there. <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say? Yeah, was that English? What was that? Something about a free kick. I scored a free kick in Australia, and I'm I'm just gonna end it there. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, <laughs> that's amazing. You were trying to cross it in, and it went in. I don't <laughs> where it went, but I scored a free kick in Australia, and that's the top thing on my resume. Amazing. <laughs> I like that. Ended on a positive <laughs> Opens up every CV video with that free kick for every year from now on. I got the Drake. I got the Drake uh, back up. I just hit the switch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, I, I feel like it. you're telling the truth about that. That's the sad thing. It is, 100%. Yeah, I feel I'm going to get off this and just YouTube it's my, video. It's on my Instagram, 100%. boys. Go down, go down a couple posts, you'll find it. So. Hundred percent. That's class. Thanks for sending. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing it. I appreciate hearing your guys' stories. Of course. Anytime. No problem. Yeah, it's been real. Anytime. Yeah. Alright, boys. Yeah. It's been real. And obviously, my five-side bridges would be the five of us here. So there's no. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys. You guys wanna. You have your in your mind. You have a five aside. I don't even think to ask. If you want, you can you can do your five aside. Have I already five aside? Do I have to do a second one? No, you already did it. I, Done. You know, safe. I'm gonna choose the five right here. Boom. Yeah. Check mark. Unstoppable. That's such a safe. That's such a yeah. safe team. That's so safe. I like Bro, it. That, wow, that's you're a, team a politician, that will, dude. That's a team that'll defend. I'll tell you that much. No, yeah. I'm not going to give up goals. We're fine. Hit kids. <laughs> the only term we're scoring is when Taz takes off on those long runs. And we <laughs> oh, man. Who's, who's the last one to sub off of this spot? Who's the what? Oh, dude, I'd be getting I'm, I'm going out first. I'm going to need to sub. I'd say we'd have to say Lenny definitely does not sub himself off until he's the last one standing. <laughs> it wouldn't matter how tired he was. He would just – he'd go for it. He'd literally go until he croaked before he'd sub himself off. I know he would. He's selfish, but <laughs> – Oh, my gosh. Come on, you I got the final side? Oh. Oof, probably – Probably just us five right here. Yeah, say it's safe. Say it's safe, safe guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. All with right. Jeff Gollin, with Jeff Gollin goal. Now I've definitely had enough, dude. I'm hanging up now. My time here is done. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thank you. Have a good day. See you guys. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, dude. Thanks for doing it. Peace, guys. Boys. Bye. Cheers.